Well, hey there, hi there. It's time for Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I am joined by my dad, Jack, the other generation. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. I'm also on the East Coast, and we've had our share of hot weather finally this last week. Got yeah. into the 90s. Yeah, it's been real toasty here. I spent uh, part of the weekend up at altitude to uh, avoid, get away from it. Yeah, to avoid some <laughs> of the heat and enjoy some family vacation time before summer wraps up. My wife, being a teacher, she uh, has to go back to work shortly. So, so uh, we had kind of, you know, talking in our pre-show, we, we like we often do, we start going down a, a, a conversation, and I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, we should just go ahead and start the show. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we were talking about uh, Chinese acquisition of mineral rights in lots of places. I mean, obviously, they have the mineral rights within their own country, and it's a vast country, but they've also been moving to um, get mineral rights in, uh, in Africa and in parts of uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, I think Indonesia was the one that I read about in particular. It's got one of the largest reserves of nickel in the world, and nickel is critical to building uh, electric batteries. Um, so you were commenting on having read something in that vein? Yeah. In fact, there's big effort going on right now to begin the mining of, uh, of uh, titanium in the Salton Sea, or south of the Salton Sea area. Mm -hmm. And they said there's a, a tremendous amount, and they'll be in production in 25, it said. So that's turning it around pretty dang fast, because just building that stuff takes you six months or a year. Mm -hmm. uh, but then to get it all up and going yeah, takes, down takes my quite way. a while, too. So yeah. I think we're going to see a, uh, a version of an arms race with, uh, you know, leading manufacturing countries looking to find resource materials around the world and uh, and start, uh, you know, exploiting those opportunities as quickly as they can. And, um, you know, I think there's some of these are of strategic value for countries, too, you know, so. Yeah. And another one that I thought was really interesting is because I've been uh, baffled by the stupidity of investments in to overcome the uh, uh, so-called climate change. Not that I'm not I'm not a denier, of course, climate changes, but the amount of changes uh, I understand it is uh, pretty small percentage-wise compared to the normal cyclic phenomena that occur between ice ages and hot periods. And in fact, uh, given what I know about that, is that we're really close to the end of the the cycle, which uh, I think, is, uh, if, if you consider the full period, runs close to a thousand years, uh, but a half cycle uh, yeah. is hot, and a half half of the other half of the cycle is considered cold. Yeah. But anyway, uh, they uh, sixty minutes last Sunday had a. I think that's the one. I, I never remember shows exactly, but. Uh, Bill Gates has invested uh, in, in uh, uh, Wyoming uh, a lot of money for a nuclear power plant, uh, basically to replace the coal plants and give people jobs that they're going to lose if they, when they shut down the coal plants. And, of course, that's what's ultimately going to happen. Uh, I can understand shutting coal down more than I do oil because I think oil is going to be around for a long time. But at least for a lot of the stuff that gets sent out of state, the infrastructure is already there for 
distributing electricity uh, mm. throughout the state because it's mostly desert, but there are small towns that have grown up to support the coal industry that Bill Gates is going to transition the workers over to his nuclear power mm -hmm. plant. Well, I thought to the, the nuclear uh, that he was um, uh, backing was a real small type of um, uh, system. It was not uh, like what we traditionally think of as a large nuclear power plant that takes up acres of, of land. It was Well, the pictures showing the earth movers, as you'll quickly conclude, it's a large, large plant because uh -huh. he basically wants to be sure he more than covers the amount of capacity that uh, in terms for energy development than coal had. Uh -huh. uh, so he absolutely wipes those out but takes advantage of their infrastructure to the maximum extent possible. Now, basically, you, uh, I believe, had dug into salt or sodium chloride as being, uh, or batteries, as being a big technology. And his whole reactor thing is uh, sodium chloride molten mm -hmm. uh, so that he doesn't require the big uh, bodies of water and, and all. Right, the cooling uh, systems, but, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see him doing that because, to me, that is a far better alternative than either solar or uh, 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 wind, both of which are just temporary kinds of things that don't provide continuous 24 hours, seven day a week operation, which nuclear does. Yeah. And, uh, and I believe that uh, given as many years as we have, had nuclear around they've they've got lots of designs that have much 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 greater safety and far fewer uh uh disposable uh waste or, uh, waste uh, as a result right yeah that well was i mean we basically canceled uh nuclear development in this country for you know 40 years yeah and so yeah there's been advances in, but anyway in how to anyway, run a plant in the in the show Gates addressed the, the waste issue. He said uh, annually it produces less waste than a, what you could put into a large room. Now, I don't know what he meant by large. He yeah, meant, yeah. You know, I was going to say, um, you know, football stadiums are pretty large rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, it's obviously a very large and major operation, and he's invested billions in this thing. So uh, – I'm sure he's done his homework there. It'll, yeah. It'll be a long-term uh, money maker for whoever ultimately uh, gets to benefit from it. He's right. He don't have that many years left, but whoever does mm. is gonna gonna see some. But anyway, his he's it said that his power company Terra something, Terra Energy, I think, has been around for 17 years. I didn't realize that he's been involved in, in that long. I probably was just a study operation just to figure out how what's the good way to invest. And he came down on the on the right side, in my opinion. If you mm -hmm. if you're you know really going to address climate change in any significant way. But still the biggest issue with the whole climate change thing is you get still got enormous countries uh, opening new uh, coal plants and mines and stuff in China and whatever. So, right. you know, the whole, everything that we're, we're doing is being overwhelmed by the rest of the world, not playing the game, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you shared a thing with me the other day about like emissions and showed that our emissions have been steadily going down while at, at, you know, the um, uh, Chinese emissions have been going up at four times the rate we've been going down. So, yeah. Yeah, it's obvious if you just look at the data that that it's not being addressed in any meaningful way on a worldwide basis. Mm -hmm. So whatever. uh, Terra Power, by the way, is the company that you were looking uh, at that is founded by or not, but uh, backed by Bill Gates and based out of Bellevue, Washington. No surprise there. And they talk about uh, traveling wave reactor technology and molten chloride fast reactor technology. So, yeah. so. so anyway, it made the news. I didn't know that they were going that they were involved mm-hmm. in doing that, but yep. Uh, well, uh, a while ago they got uh, approval for the first um, new nuclear uh, reactor in the United States based on this new design. In like I said, I think forty years or something like that. That's what, so I'm sure that's uh, so you know that's that that's what they're now taking action on is the the prepping for that first new reactor. Yep. So. So anyway, uh, so much for those kind of things. I don't really have anything else to say. Other than yeah. It was just in the news now. And if, if you haven't seen it and are interested, you can go watch them on, somewhere. There, you can always replay those shows. Yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, other thing that we had talked about is uh, the, uh, what makes the M1 silicon really fast. And uh, mm-hmm. probably the best article that we found on that, there's a company called Amontech.com. Uh, Amontech, a, a yeah, um, does the uh, has a breakdown. They usually are very technical articles. Um, I had read a sort of summary of that art- article on uh, Medium. If you happen to be a subscriber to Medium.com, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where you know. The, the, the kind of gets down into the nuts and bolts of what makes them fast and then why aren't like Intel and AMD doing the same things and it really boils down to Intel and AMD are in a different business than than Apple's chip design people are because Intel and AMD make a general purpose CPU that is designed to work with discrete parts put onto a motherboard, which is the traditional way of building computers. And you buy the best graphics chip and the best memory or whatever it is that you want to put together. Whereas, you know, Apple's chip design people, in addition to creating a CPU, and they are doing the, you know, high power and low power focused CPUs, which Intel and and AMD immediately copied. Um, Mm -hmm. But they, you know, also have... Uh, integrated graphics, an image processing unit, a digital signal processor, a neural processing unit, a video encoder, decoder, secure enclave, and unified memory, uh, as well as you know other purpose-built pieces on their um, on their integrated silicon chip that is significantly more than um, uh, you know they're essentially building uh, purpose-built hardware for Apple computers whereas you know Intel and AMD aren't computer companies they're making CPUs and so it's really kind of an apples to, to oranges comparison in yeah, a lot but, of ways but the, but the question you have to ask is for how long are these so-called other uh, computer makers going to be 
interested in Intel or an AMD chips if they can't, uh, yeah. if they're so far outperformed by a, another competitor. And everybody in the in the business world is saying that uh, Apple is 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 in a position now where their uh, total computer sales are going to be a larger part of the total market share as time goes on. Yeah. Because clearly, uh, even though they're expensive, uh, what you get what you pay for. Right. Uh, you know? And Yeah. No, they, they have been gaining market share for quite a while, um, and it certainly has accelerated since they've, uh, since they've switched to their, their own Apple architecture. The, yeah. you know, the, the, it was interesting too, because some people say, well, you know, the, uh, don't, um, Intel laptops have a built-in GPU and integrated memory for the GPU. The thing is, is they don't really work the same. The way that the, that, that was designed was that the, you know, the, the system memory and the G GPU memory while being part of the same memory bank are designated for GPU or designated for system memory. Apple has developed a system where the entire, uh, the, the entire, um, allotment of memory is used by the GPU and the CPU. And so if the CPU needs to read something out of graphics memory, all it has to do is go to those registers and read it directly out. It doesn't have to ask the GPU to send it that information. And so that's a huge gain in speed as well. You know, yep. so it, you can't make an apples to apples comparison in, in uh, of GPUs from, from discrete systems and from this integrated memory model either. Um, you know, at that level. Now you can just do flat out timings of how long does it take for something to happen. Um, you know, and in some cases, uh, the Intel stuff or the, uh, in this case, Nvidia, uh, stuff is significantly faster, uh, if you go to the high end Nvidia boards. Um, but it's just a matter of time before Apple has integrated, you know, more and more, uh, and allotted more and more, um, you know, CPU and GPU, um, uh, power. To yep. that particular arena, it's just it's it's a better un, uh, underlying design, and it puts the yeah you know, yeah puts Intel and AMD in a real bad spot. Um, yeah, you know, and I think you know the the Nvidia people realized that they made an effort to try to buy the ARM company. Um, you know, you can't just license the ARM technology as well, but they wanted to buy it, and I think that you know they were thinking, okay, we've got to start building integrated systems that will sell not just GPUs. Um, they ended up abandoning that. There was some some um, legal issues with them buying that, and it was also a huge investment that uh, may may not have been something that that uh, Nvidia, I think, financially could could handle. But uh, but I think what you're going to probably see, because you know the Windows folks already have a version of Windows that runs on ARM, is you're going to start seeing some um, uh, you know like Qualcomm who builds ARM chips. And already has the license to do that. We'll start doing similar type of purpose-built uh, system on a chips for Windows, and yeah. selling those. And they'll probably have a variety of different packages. And you'll see more and more Dell and and Asus and those kinds of guys uh, selling. Uh, well, well, even before that happens, I see some integration between the software and hardware companies in terms of mm -hmm. um, ownership. Uh, you know. A lot of what came out of Apple resulted just from the fact that they're both a hardware and software company and not exclusively one or the other. Right. Therefore, they could control an integrated design. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, that's what this is all about. Yeah. Well, Microsoft has become that too, but to a much lesser extent because that's not the major part of their business model anymore. But they sell hardware, and so they could they could do that. You know, they sell yeah. they sell tablets and and convertibles and laptops, and uh, and could very well go down that road. Um, and they already sell some some uh, ARM based stuff. And so, you know, they could, I, I don't know if they are a licensee of ARM directly or whether they, you know, I, I think they use Qualcomm chips, but they could certainly work with whomever is the chip maker to make those more custom and, and create more custom hardware that's specific to their operating system. Yeah. You know, should they choose to do that, they're certainly big enough to do that. So, yep. Yeah, it'll uh, be interesting to see. Yeah, it, it all has to do with how much uh, impact uh, Apple uh, chips uh, are going to have on their business, uh -huh. you know? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they've kind of pivoted into a um, uh, web services type company in, in terms of a lot of their income. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that they have a lot of, um, you know, internal desire to say, hey, let's go compete against Apple it, you know, on it with an integrated system, you know, yeah. I mean, it just, I, they, maybe they do. We'll see a time will tell. I mean, they certainly still have products in that area, in that arena, mm -hmm. um, you know, so maybe they will go down that road, you know, and honestly, I kind of wish they do because I think that's healthy for, uh, for the consumer to have, you know, Ab absolutely. You know, if we ever get to the point to where there's just one monopoly in that whole business, uh, that's that we all lose. Yeah. Because it's competition that man brings us and brought has brought us where we are. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So we'll see where it goes. But uh, I, um, you know, it's interesting when you just look at the nuts and bolts of it. It's not a simple thing for, excuse me, for Intel and AMD to come out and say, "Well, we're going to make a computer that's going to get you." Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mean, quite frankly, the uh, the Apple chips are outperforming the AMD and the Intel chips on a lot of levels and they're doing it at much much lower clock speeds too because if they so if they prioritized you know just beating the best of the uh, the Intel architecture Apple could crank up the clock speed and put a bunch of fans on their their systems as well but they've been putting value on fanless and and cool running of their chips Port portable chips, so yeah. they, they, they want to keep the power down. That's been a big part of their yeah. design. But, I mean, they use those same chips clocked the same way in their desktop machines as well. And so there's nothing stopping them from saying, hey, you know, yep. in certain instances, we're going to crank the, the, uh, the CPU cycles up and, you know, put a better cooling system on this thing, you know, in their Apple, um, their uh, Mac Pro, perhaps, you know, because that's got the big big giant box that was designed to cool down much hotter chips they certainly could do that if they wanted to well i i wouldn't think it it would is in fact inevitable at some point they will say we've we've got the portable market to a to a great extent why mm -hmm. don't we go go grab a bunch of the desktop market yeah and here's how we'll do it you know yeah well, that's why I said, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't know that it's necessarily inevitable, but what I'm saying is, is if, if that becomes a, if they choose to focus on that as a priority, they can, you know, they could, without doing a whole lot of work, just crank up the speed on their systems and, uh, mm -hmm. and provide cooling to support that and get even faster. 
Yeah. Now, the fact is, is that's a lot harder to do with an integrated system like they have on the chip right now, mm-hmm. because the the clock speed affects all of the stuff working together as well. Sure. So it's, it's not as simple uh, uh, a thing as just a simple old CPU clock that, that mm-hmm. can tolerate certain increases. Uh, the, the days of anything being simple are over. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. So, anyhow, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's fun to see this leap forward because, you know, Apple really did make a leap forward here. And, uh, uh, you know, it's exciting to see what's, you know, what's next and how they're going to, uh, to work on that and how the, how the competition is going to react, you know? Yeah. And, so. and I'm glad that there are the techies out there who are sorting out what some of the, uh, various features of, uh, very parts of the M one are in order to achieve these goals. You know, they, yeah. they've tried to optimize at a, uh, sub chip level, for each of the subsystems and try to, you know, do, do them in whatever way, uh, provided the best outcome and the best outcome was measured in terms of, uh, power consumption as well as clock speed, you know, actual performance speed, instruction yeah. speed. Uh, so they, uh, they've done a lot of optimizing. That's what, what it really amounts to. Yeah. You know, at, at a subsystem level. Uh, then to, in, in in all of it together uh, to play at a much higher performance uh, at the system level, you know. So anyway, uh, I think yeah. we beat that one to death. Yeah, yeah. So next one up was, uh, you know, you had found a, uh, an article talking about MacBook Pro possibly getting force-sensitive 3D touchscreen, which is interesting because they had 3D touch basically on the phone and abandoned it. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to see, apparently there was something on patently Apple that, uh, that's, uh, that led somebody to believe that they could be possibly looking at this. There was a patent application called computing device enclosure, enclosing a display and force sensors. Yeah. Uh, Apple, uh, you know, I have, uh, my M one, uh, Mac mm-hmm. MacBook, uh, has that little, uh, touch display on the thing that a lot of people uh, yeah, thought touch, was going nowhere, bar. a touch bar. And this looks like a, a different type of replacement for that. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, so it could, could come back, uh, in a different way. Uh, and, uh, at least they're still thinking about it. I think the whole concept was quite good, although it just didn't catch on amongst a lot of other, right. Uh, developers. Yeah. We've talked about this before though, too. I think part of the problem was that the touch bar came out in the generation of butterfly keyboards that everybody universally hated. And that hurt the adoption of the touch bar because people were actively telling people don't buy a Mac right now. Well, see, there's also been rumors out for years that they might put a little touch bar or touch pad on the exterior, uh, uh, of, a. Of a, or the backside of a phone or something that you might use without having to turn the phone on. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Apple has been continuing its uh, development work, testing to see uh, if they can do that. And if they can, then I'll, they may find some, you know, really good uses for such a device. Yeah. Uh, so. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, and the thing with with uh, 3D touch, at least, that was something that the, the thing that was abandoned on the phones, I actually liked it because you could touch something, then you could press and, and it would be like a, a touch and then a, and then you'd press into it like a hard touch. So you'd get a second little tap saying you'd gone even further right. um, if you pushed a little harder. Um, and so, you know, it was like it was like a like a right and a left button click on something in a touch interface. You had the regular tap and then you had the harder press tap. And, yeah, and 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 to get feedback from it too. Right. Yeah, there was a tactical or a tactile feedback for both, and I liked that quite a lot. I was a little disappointed when they abandoned it, and I don't remember which phone physically it was that I had that that was the first one that didn't have that. But you know, you get over it, but because it, now it's it's touch, and then there's a long press, and a long press. You know, if you just leave your finger there for a second, then you get the second. Yeah. Uh, it, level. So. And you know there there it's always good to just keep working on interfaces because mm -hmm. there are flaws with every interface that's out there. For example, uh, I can't tell you how many times I was going to show somebody uh, just something on the iPhone, but in the process of reaching over and handing them the phone, you touched the screen on some corner or something, and what you meant to show them is no longer there. <laughs> yeah. I've had that yeah. happen. The other one that happens to me now daily is somehow um, my finger wraps around the phone and touches on the screen long enough to then suddenly get all my icons jiggling. Oh, and yeah. so everything is and, – and I've I literally have inadvertently dragged things off the screen. I deleted my or, – or hid – inside of another folder somewhere the my messages app the other day and and i you know i could search for it and find it but i had to go digging around to figure out where this stupid thing had gotten to it was yeah. uh really annoying i wish there was a way to lock that you know once i've got my my icon set i rarely want to move them and i certainly don't want to you know that what it's supposed to be i guess like a long press to make them move but i do it inadvertently every single day at least once if not multiple times it's irritating yeah, so and, irritating. And, I, and I've come close to deleting important stuff just for, you know, accidentally. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, I mean to a point where at least there's no recovery as far as I know, uh, you know, if, if it does happen, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, so the, the safety features to be sure that you really want to do something, uh, sometimes I wonder if they're really adequate. You yeah. Know? Well, you know, it's like, I understand them wanting it be, to be easy to move things around and, and, and adjust your screen. But my, my use pattern has been once I've got it set up the way I want it, I don't really do that very often. And mm -hmm. so it should not be something as simple as letting my finger, you know, linger in one spot too long. And that's what's happening right now is it triggers the edit display by my finger lingering in one spot too long. And it's done inadvertently all the time daily yeah. you know well, that i would much rather that just be a an option in settings to say you know uh long touch to edit screen yes or no and turn it off and that way then i could only go in and do that if i intend to yeah or then i don't know how you protect against somebody like me who's old enough that i nod off a lot of times when i'm reading or watching or doing something uh, -huh. uh and uh and then I wake up suddenly, and I says, "The thing, the thing is still on." I'm saying, "How did I get here?" Yeah, you know, there's nothing I could relate to. You know? Yeah, yeah. You I bumped could. something on the screen, and it's now gone off on another. You know, and I don't know if there's anything they could do about like you're, if you're on a web page and you hit a link. You know, there's not much they can do to save you there. 
but but the basic setup of where all of your icons are on the screen that should not be so easy to inadvertently trigger see i think that they the, the feature they built into the new uh, uh spatial computer uh that where they look at your eyes and if your eyes go shut then that ought to lock you out, you know, so that you can't do certain things that require sight mm-hmm. if you don't have your eyes open. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, you, exists, you know, they, yeah, they, they're especially on the pro models of the iPads because they're already got face ID. They know whether you're looking at it or not. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, that, you know, that should be a, a, an additional feature of those pro machines, right? It's, Absolutely. See, so there know, was a way to protect me from myself. <laughs> if I'm not looking at the screen, if my eyes are closed, then just lock the screen. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the, the, uh, it's, those are things that are clearly fixes to a user interface that I could really love, you know, uh, if I ended up at some point losing something permanently, you know, something important that you've put hours into or whatever. And and you know how much importance you, you can put into a computer. There's a lot of stuff yeah. that you just absolutely don't want to lose. It, it might be nice to even have multiple backups of stuff just because you've put them, you've assigned them an importance level. You know, it's just another feature to get some input from you as to yeah. what's your more most important stuff that we got, we got to really protect it, okay? I wouldn't mind something like that as a feature. I, I mean, not only wouldn't mind, I would I would think that'd be really great. Yeah, yeah. I was reading an article or the one of the comments here, and I really like what the guy says. Is like, no, yeah, force touch is not good. T- touch sensitive only on the screen because you're pressing on a hinged screen. You don't want to have to like press harder to get something. You know, it should right. be a light light uh, light touch or maybe even hover, uh, unless you were going to do it like on the trackpad or the return of an actually developed touch bar would be welcome, you know, and I think that pretty much re- reflects what we were saying is, you know, if they were going to put force touch onto a touch bar and make the touch bar, you know, more functional, I think that they should give that another try. They shouldn't give up on it, you know? Right. So um, at the very least, when you buy your laptop, it should be optional. You, sh- you should be able to say, do you want a row of function buttons or do you want a touch bar? Yeah. Because yeah. I think a lot of people, I, I, I imagine there would be some people who would say, no, I want the functions. But there'd be a lot of people who'd go, no, I absolutely want the touch bar. I mean, as evidenced by people still buying the 13-inch computer that you bought because yeah. they like the touch bar. Yeah, I, I spent probably $100 extra just to, because of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, my the older of my two daughters bought that exact same computer for that reason, because it had a touch bar. And she wanted the device that had the touch bar. Yep. So. You know... Uh, see, I, I think that uh, the uh, things like this evolve. We had fun- function bars forever, and it was, it was never clear that there was any particular function key that I had assigned to something. The, I know there were ways that you could do that. Sure. And there were some that the system had well, assigned. And, yeah, had Apple had functions. set up a whole bunch of them to do things like brighten your screen and you know raise and lower the volume of, of any sound that was playing and things like that. Um, you know, and I know that that uh, you know programmers used the escape key, and in the initial touch bar, they mm-hmm. had done away they, with the escape key, and that they was you know people screamed about that. But in yep. subsequent versions, they put the escape key on one end and the touch ID start key or on key end. at the other end, you know, and then the touch bar sat in the middle, and I think that was a really good 
you know, change. Yep. And when we talk about the, the, um, the continual reinvention or, or modification of that interface, that was a good move. They made a change there. They said, okay, we hear you. Escape key needs to come back. And they put it back on yep. there. Um, yep. You know, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, an evolution of a touch bar is, is a good thing. Yeah. Now, I, I think it's kind of a Google invention to, to the go back key or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah. On their on their phones, they from day yeah. one had a had a key that was just go back. Yeah. Yeah. And and I always thought that that was pretty dang good idea. I agree. I, I am envious of that. Apple tried to do something like that up in the top left hand corner. There's when you go to something, there's there's usually a, a way to jump back to the previous thing you yeah. were doing. Yeah, but, you know, these devices, as I say, are sometimes you end up not knowing how you got there. It'd be really nice to at least explore going back uh, one or two levels and see yeah. if you can find out how you got there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In Apple's world, you go back one level. That's that's as far back as you, you're able to go back. Um, you know, you can go back with pages within apps, but, but, but yeah. uh, at the OS level, there's that one level go back up in the top left corner of the phone. So... Yeah, sometimes that's not enough. <laughs> sometimes it's like, okay, just start over. Take me back to the home screen. We'll figure it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, I think I found another uh, article here on um, modifying interfaces. It says like uh, it's, uh, uh, iOS 17. Features, right? Yeah, features on iOS 17 that are yet to come out. Yeah, but well, these, that's these you, there were, were several to, things we were talking about before that. You're, you're skipping over a whole bunch. Yeah, accessibility. Oh, accessibility features I think are great because yeah. I I use a lot of them because I happen to be uh, brain dead or something. Yeah, well, I tell you what, you, 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 you know, using that uh, screen accessibility feature to make your screen non-functional on your laptop was quite a trick. <laughs> that, that was that was and it puzzled me for a long time yeah. until finally i just sort of insisted i'm gonna talk to you about it until we work this out yeah you know? <laughs> yeah we basically did it on the show live <laughs> sort of like okay what are you seeing now and i tried to duplicate it and i was able to get to the same thing and yeah i don't know how you used it it was miserable yeah was especially miserable. especially because some controls didn't even show up on the screen on the screen so you you didn't even know you had these controls <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> when buttons were just washed out you couldn't see them at all yeah so so apple has previewed a suite of features that improve cognitive vision sp and speech accessibility um, they're supposed to arrive on the iphone ipad mac later this year um, so uh, assistive access is coming soon to ipad os and ios designed for people with cognitive disabilities. Assistive access streamlines the interface. So it basically just gives you, um, if you've seen those commercials for like the Cricket phone that basically gives you like five, you know, five big boxes and they're like, do this, do this, do this, or do that. It's kind of like that. You'll set up, you know, five or six big touch points that are easier to get to. And, you know, one is photos, one is calls, one is music. You know, that kind of thing so that it, it simplifies the interface. You don't have a whole bunch of little icons all over the place. You have, you know, five or six big icons that do specific things. Um, well, well, you know, the, the one they use it as an example here is a, is a picture of it looks like a microwave 
uh, on the side of a microwave so you can set things. And if, and if you can't read those things, you, you know, I, I have used my phone a lot of times to take things that were difficult to read. Okay, you jumped uh, to a whole different section than I was on. I was talking about the simplified interface interface called assistive access for cognitive um, uh, uh, disabilities. You're talking about the... Um, New uh, accessibility features like right, but you just jumped to a different feature. We were talking about one, so the one oh. you're talking about, where they're showing the microwave, is you can now use a an uh, addition to the um, uh, camera uh, capabilities that will be able to point your camera at controls that are in the real world, such as your microwave, and then it will highlight them and tell you what it says, so that you can then set microwaves because sometimes that's printed in very small type if you don't have your glasses on or something it'd be hard to figure out how to do stuff you know or if you uh, don't even have correctable vision um you know if you're legally blind but have some vision and there's lots of devices that don't have actual buttons or knobs in fact most things have gone away from that you know it's a flat piece of a material with areas designated to touch to turn you know to set the timer or to cook the popcorn or whatever um, yeah, so this is kind of cool. The idea of being able to point the camera at things and have them help you figure out how to use that device. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Uh, feature called I've, point and speak. Now this is a live version of what I have done for years. I had a motor home with all these things that were electronics and fuses and stuff. And I couldn't read the labels on the fuse boxes, but I'd take pictures of these things. So I'd know it was the, the second or third one down from the top or up from the bottom or uh -huh. over by this, you know, some, some way to identify. So I'd know which fuse to change in order to fix a problem. And, and a lot of things on that motorhome were difficult for me to, uh, to tell what was going on. Uh, -huh. uh because I, either the axis wasn't big for me to get my head in the space where you could now look down on something, you know, but I could put my hand in there with a phone, yeah. take a picture. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah, <laughs> I've done the same thing. And it's like, it's, it's amazing. You know, Apple's really bad at this. It, it, they're, they're one of the worst people in terms of, like, we don't want the, the legal text or, or information about the device to take away from the beauty of the device. So we're going to print it in four-point type in light gray on white. And then mm. you're going, like, but I can't read it. I have no idea what it is, you know. Uh, even with glasses, it's just, I can't read some of that stuff. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's nice to be able to snap a picture and zoom in on it. But this goes beyond that. It'll actually read it to you. And, in fact, it's now, it'll be available in, um, you know, just shy of a dozen different languages. English, French, Italian, German, Spanish, Portuguese, Cantonese, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, and Ukrainian. So, uh, yeah. and, and I'm sure they'll add more languages as time goes by and that kind of, uh, you know, uh, assistive te type technology is really cool. Yes, it is. Uh, well, the, the one that seems to get a lot of attention, uh, but is actually has to be protected is the one where they let you substitute your own voice for Siri. Yeah. I, I don't know what the, uh, idea behind that is. Uh, because I don't know about anybody who's losing their voice, but if you wanted to preserve certain things from your own mouth, 
text to your own voice might be mm -hmm. really nice, but you don't want to let that get into the hands of somebody who could fake be be a fake you. Sure, you don't want yeah fake you calling family members and and you know asking for help or money or or come right. meet me here so that they run out of their house and now somebody can rob them. You know that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, there's all kinds of ways that could be exploited. And so that's got to be something, and I'm sure Apple's they, you know, looked, they, looked yeah, at the security have, of it very closely. Yeah, in fact, none of that information leaves your uh, uh, camera. You can't get it out, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So, or, or I think it's on the watch as well. Uh, yeah, but if you could train somebody, you know, if you could train that to speak in your voice and then use that, like when you're traveling, if you if you are losing your voice for one reason or another, that could be helpful. I know that in the, um, you know, Anthony Bourdain uh, passed away a few years ago, and they did a um, a uh, documentary, and they did the documentary on his life in the same style that he did his shows. So he was doing voiceovers, hmm. and they used most of the stuff that they used was voiceovers that he had used from his shows for years and years. So they had lots of that, but they also wanted some some him saying certain things to explain what was going on. And he, they didn't have a recording of him saying that. So they trained an AI and used the AI version of his voice to then narrate part of the movie. It you know, was very controversial, but it was, um, uh, you know, it was in a very interesting movie. You couldn't tell the difference between what was the AI generated version of his voice and the, you know, just recordings from his shows. By the way, the best popular example I can think of somebody who could really use a, vo a recorded voice is uh, Robert Kennedy. You know, it's almost painful for me to listen to him talk just yeah. because he's, it's, it, he's, he has some problem. Apparently it's kind of common. Do you want this now or you want to oh, wait? Lunch has arrived. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're early. Uh, There's yeah. your drink. I'll We're recording. Drink and leave these until later. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll get it a little bit later. Honey. Okay. Anyway, uh, I've got a drink now, at least. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the way a home office works. Yeah. Somebody walks in on your meeting. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to wait too long, so. Sure. Yeah. Maybe. So we'll, we'll, we'll get through some of this but anyway yeah you know it, there are people who have voice issues that that um are difficult to listen to um you know the uh, in the latest uh the the more i guess latest is a year old now but the the top gun sequel um one of the actors has uh had had cancer and he's lost his voice and they he had also done a documentary about his voice and about his life and about about his his sickness and how he's dealing with it and uh he had his voice created via an ai using samples from you know being an actor he had recorded copies of his voice saying all kinds of things and so yep. they trained that and they used that both in the movie and for his documentary because ah. he, he can't speak anymore um, wow and, you know, and so that's that's handy. And he's basically got a device that he carries with him so that he can, you know, say certain phrases, but it says it in his voice. So, you know, yep. I can see that being interesting. And I think they had offered something like this to Stephen Hawking before he died because they had basically, uh, you know, through some of his lectures, were able to get to his voice. But he basically sure. said, you know, since he had one of those very early on uh, touch speak type assistive devices he said no this has become my voice now this is what people hear you know they hear this voice they know it's me 
Yep. And so uh, he did. He chose not to do that, um, which made sense. You know, mm-hmm. I think more people know his very distinctive little synthesized voice than would know recognize what his actual voice had sounded like before he lost the ability to speak. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting. Um, so uh, some rumors about the iPhone 15. I think we've heard them all. You know, they're saying that they're going to make the frame out of titanium, so it'll be lighter. And the big one is the USB-C port. Um, and then there's also a rumor that it's going to have an action button similar to the Sport Watch. So we'll see if that actually happens. And obviously, they'll have the new processor and all that good stuff. Well, well, well. anyone with a watch has an action button. The only use I've ever made of it is for Apple Pay, which is That's a double-click that's not the same button. There's a third button on the sport watch that is called the action button and it functions differently than the button that's below the, um, the well, bezel. I'm, I'm just the, telling you the, that, but I'm just telling you, if you read the directions of how to use Apple pay on a watch, they refer to it as double click the action button. I <laughs> don't think I, so. But think, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, yeah, we'll see what happens with the iPhone 15. I mean, it's rumors. Uh, people have seen previews of watchOS 10, and they're saying that it's basically going to change the way you use your watch, but that's a good thing. And so we'll see. So it's been getting pretty good reviews, but I'm, I haven't tried it yet, haven't even looked at it, so I'm not sure uh, I'm going to be happy with it. But we'll see. We'll see over time. I mean, there's anyway. some, f- some frustrations that I have with the watch, so... Yeah, uh, there's one that mentioned here. I, I don't think I didn't hear you say it, but the A17 Bionic chip, which is supposedly the really fast process. Yeah, the, well, all I said was it'll have the latest chip because, you know, it'll, oh. they always have the latest and greatest chip. But you're I, right. The, the next version of the chip is supposed to be a fairly big leap in computing power because they are going to the smaller uh, die size. Yeah. Yeah, so we should get, you know, more power. Yeah. Then we, you know, the last couple jumps have been pretty minimal. You Same have to ask on, yourself, what would they use that? You know, yeah. why do you need more power on the app on the watch? You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I I'm uh, kind of befuddled by how many apps and things they're trying to use the watch with right now that I don't really give a darn about. <laughs> yeah. Well, but there are some people, you know, they're basically trying to turn the watch into a standalone device that can do things that that you expect your phone to do. And it's had difficulty doing that at many times in the past. Yeah. And so, um, you know, if they can continue to give it, uh, you know, more power, then there will be some people who will say, well, maybe I'll just get a watch and don't have to use my phone that much. Because up to this point, it's always been very much tethered to the phone. Um, yeah. But each successive generation, it becomes a little bit more and more standalone, you know, a little bit yep. more power. Um, although I will say that, that the watch, what, uh, six seven and eight all have you know they have the s6 the s7 and the s8 chip in them but the cpu that those that those ships use has been basically the same one for three years so um so the watch is due for a uh, a bump in some processing power so yeah okay we'll see what comes of that uh ios 17 is also something that's been out there and there's a bunch of uh interesting things that are that you can do slightly differently um, you know, one of the things that I think is going to be the most interesting for a lot of people is the standby mode 
So you can put your phone on the nightstand and turn it actually, you know, a lot of people use it as an alarm clock. Well, now it'll actually be a clock and there's different clock faces and different information and widgets that you can put on the clock and you can turn the screen down to very dim so it doesn't keep you awake all night. And yeah. uh, I have a clock app that I use on my phone right now that I do that with. I put it in clock. I just launch the clock app and stick it, uh, stick the phone onto my little magnetic stand horizontally and it's my nightstand clock. It, so. Is is it uh, the one I sent you? The last thing is a photo, and I don't know if I got the name of the thing, but anyway, the features of the app are designed here, but it just puts the time either vertically or horizontally. Right. And, and I'm thinking about whether I'll just get this app and forget about the iOS 17 because I don't have uh -huh. to lay it sideways. All yeah. I, you know? And, that and, app, that app actually looks like the app that I have. Oh, I thought I'm it might it. be. Yeah, I was, it was funny because I was reading through this and I thought this was supposed to be a summary of the options that were available via iOS 17. And I'm looking <laughs> at it and going, why would I want iOS 17? I have my my app does all of that, and then I realized it is my app. <laughs> that makes sense. Yep. So yeah. So yeah, anyway. no, I, I highly recommend the app. I, I don't remember the, what its specific name is, though. Do you? It's called Nightstand or something like that? Uh, yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, Watchstand. Nightstand. Yeah, Nightstand. And it has a uh, little uh, like rectangular uh, screen on the blue icon with a moon in it. Um, and uh, it gives you a lot of what is going to be built into iOS 17. Although I will say that the clock screens on iOS 17 look much prettier than nightstands. But functionality-wise, I think that they're very similar. And quite frankly, some of these clock screens require that the screen be much brighter uh, because there are large numbers taking up most of the screen. And I'm not sure I want something that bright next to my bed uh, yeah. at night. So, you know, you have to play around with it. It looks like a lot of, of what is going to be in iOS 17 is is uh, functionality that's already, or at least the, the nightstand function is, is going to be already yeah. available in an app if you want it. The other thing is, is that I use a ceiling uh, display that I've had for years mm -hmm. on a little uh, uh, app that, that, you know, actually projects it up. Yeah. To the a little, ceiling. yeah, a little uh, clock, a device that projects yeah. the time to the ceiling. Yeah. My and, wife and has it, one of those. And, and it does it in, in a red that doesn't, it's not too bright. Right, and so it's a lot easier to see things on a ceiling than to look down at a table over something supposedly standing. Not when you're a, a stomach sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, I haven't been on my stomach in years. I, yeah. I'm a side sleeper. Yeah, see, I sleep on my stomach, so I turn uh, my head to the side one way or the other. But you know, looking at something on the ceiling, I'd have to pull an exorcist and twist around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Uh, Any, anyway, I think there's way too much on this uh, uh, display for a night app. I I just want the time. Yeah, in as simple a form as I can. Uh, yeah, well, that nightstand app does, gives you that. It gives you the time as simple as possible. Yeah. You can change the color. Um, when the clock app is running, you can drag your finger up or down on the screen, regardless of which way it is, and up makes it brighter and down makes it dimmer. Uh, and it does use the camera to dim it when it's dark as well. So, But you can set you know, set the how bright you want it yeah. to start <clears throat> with, and then it'll go up well, and down from there the thing the thing about this is that you really want this this is on a charger 
you know, depending on. Yeah. This thing will do it either way because it doesn't force you to put it on a charger stand sideways. Right. And and my current charger, it's either horizontal when it's plugged in because the plug's at the bottom, or I lay it down and then it faces the ceiling. You can't see the screen at all if you're looking at it from the bed. Right. Yeah. See, and mine is a magnetic charger that holds it up facing me. And so, so I can, and I can stick it on there horizontally or vertically either way, just as easily. Yeah. And all of those things are 20 bucks plus maybe 30 bucks. And so I'm saying, Hmm, do I care about seeing the time? It's not worth that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. why I looked this up and put yeah. it on. Well, and you didn't, you didn't have the MagSafe charger until just recently when you upgraded to the iPhone 13 anyway. So that, that's you know, right. And that makes it much easier to attach horizontally or vertically. Um, you know, cause you could, it just snaps on as opposed to letting right. gravity hold it onto a stand. Yep. So I actually have an extra one that I, I'm, I think somewhere I'll look around and see if I can find it. Maybe I'll send it to you. Ah, uh, okay. So. Well, anyway, that's why I put this out here. As I was saying, this is another option I have so that I don't have yeah. to buy a new stand. Yeah. Well, and I can vouch for the app because that's the exact app that I use. I don't, okay. I'm not sure how you came across it, but I, I, I like it. I use it all the time. And in fact, I, uh, I have sitting on my desk a, uh, a uh, fire tablet that sits in a little charging stand all the time that I got just yeah. to kind of play around with. Yeah. And it, when it's doing nothing else, when it's sitting in the stand, I have it running a similar uh, clock app that I downloaded from the Amazon Play Store so that it you know, can um, run it. And so I have, have a nice you know, dimly lit clock here in the, in the office. Yeah, well, I just decided to search for, uh, let's see, I said iPhone charger uh, time display or something like that. Yeah. And that's what it led me to. Yeah. Yeah, I think I looked for um, a bedside clock or something when I first found it. You know, I was looking for uh, a bedroom clock and uh, mostly for when we traveled. But what I found is I like it so much I just use it at home now, too. It is the clock that's in my bedroom. Yeah. In the morning, I take it off the charger and take it with me. Yep. So. Well, maybe someday we'll have a, a thing that when I lay the phone on the charger, it'll just project it up to the ceiling so I can see it. Yeah, that's what they do. you got to put the projector inside the phone, right? Yeah. Well, and then you could also take your phone places and project onto the wall right. shows, right? You want to watch exactly. something, you can project it onto a, onto see, a wall that, or a screen. That, that'll be the feature sometime next year that somebody yeah. will hear our talk here and say, hey, somebody wants to do this. Yeah. Let's make it. Well, they've got those little micro projectors now, so why couldn't they just build it into a phone, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Especially if you plug it in, you don't have to worry about battery power. Yep. So. Well, that's, at night, it's going to be plugged in somewhere, usually. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, um, well, I think that, that was sort of the list of things, although we did talk briefly about um, uh, uh, Alan Dye we cut before the show started um, oh, and some of the stuff that he's done on uh, interface design specifically for the Vision Pro. Yeah, yeah, he, he did a, a, a podcast uh-huh. for about an hour, I think, with this woman that works also with him. Yeah. And they detailed a few more points about the Vision Pro that I hadn't read anywhere else. Yeah, Debbie Millman. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and and now it's been so long since I listened to it that I can't tell you what those other features were. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, Alan Dye, for those who don't know, is one of the two people who took over um, design when um, Johnny Ive 
left the company. And uh, I actually don't know specifically what his area of, of expertise is. He and Evans Hankey kind of split the design stuff. And I think he was doing interface and she was doing hardware. Well, um, well Steve, Steve Jobs had hired him before. Oh, he's uh, been with he the company him. a long time. I mean, anybody yeah. who gets to that level is, you know, usually been with the company quite a while unless they were just flat out hired from outside, you know, somewhere. I mean, it's. I guess that, that yeah. goes without saying. You know, you're either hired outside or you you made it from within. But they don't usually hire somebody and, and promote them to a uh, a VP level right away. You know, unless they right. hired them directly for that job. So, um, but anyway, he uh, he. I I think that's what it was. Is Evan Tanky did the hardware and he did the interface design, and she has since retired. Um, I don't know if he's now taken it all on or he's or if somebody else has stepped up into her position. But yeah, he would be the guy, the guy to talk about how the interface works, and uh, uh, so if you get an opportunity to find the interview with him and Debbie Millman uh, on Apple, then um, uh, or it's Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Apple Podcasts is the right. is the way to go yeah. find it. So yeah, search your your podcast app for Design Matters with Debbie Millman, and there'll be an interview and article um, discussion with Alan Dye about the interface and that's uh it's real interesting because he's he's a uh you know he's the guy so yep yeah so all right I'll uh I'll see y'all next week yeah time for you to head out and get yourself some food I guess it's sitting there tempting you the whole time we're talking huh yeah it's probably getting cold (laughs) (laughs) well that's what microwaves are for thanks for joining us on Generation Tech we'll see y'all next week bye-bye